0: Welcome to our uh, family gathering of Cultivate Church. If you're visiting with us today, then welcome. Uh, we call this our, our family gathering because we believe that we're the family of God. So we're um, in the middle of a series. We're actually right in the middle now. I can't believe it already. It's week six of a series that we've been doing called Exiles out of First Peter If you're going to track along with us in one of the Bibles that we have here, it's on page 840. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, then please uh, feel free to take one of those. You'll you'll find a little sticker on the inside cover that says, this is for you. So if you don't have one, please do that because we'd love for you to have a Bible that you can read, study along with, get to know, and start to understand what God is up to in the world and in your life by reading it. Um, but we've been going through this series called Exiles, which is basically an equipping kind of series. We, we said that last week, that we're taking a look at what it means to be equipped as the body of Christ, as God's people in the world, sent into the world as His exiles to live in, in such a way that it would demonstrate what He's like and declare who He is. That, that's our identity as His people, and so we're entertaining what that looks like for all of life. And if you remember last week, what we did was we looked at service and servitude and, and servanthood and what that means and how that fits into the picture of living the kind of life that demands an explanation. And that, that, that's the, what, what Peter is saying is the goal for his people is to live lives that demand a gospel explanation, that we would be among people and living our lives alongside them, and they'd go, there is something different about the way that you live. There's a different power at work here. There's a different way that you serve. You don't look to serve to get approval. You almost serve as if you have approval. Why do you do that? And then we would be able to give language to that and say, we serve because we have an identity because of what Jesus has done for us. And we don't serve to gain an identity from people around us. So if you remember, that's kind of where we were at last time, Um, and and I realized uh, after last week when I started to get some conversation going about the message last week is that I probably did a poor job of explaining the audience that Peter was writing to, and the reason that I say that is because um, some of the questions that I got were, well, you, you say that we should always submit ourselves to authority, but what about this? And what about this area? And, and what about you know particularly some difficult cases that we run up against? And, and so I wanted to kind of clarify some of that just so we understand what he's writing about and writing to because Peter, what he's doing is he's answering very specific questions that would have been raised of this new community of believers. And he wants to put to rest many of those questions that are out there and, and because you had a new group of people who were suddenly calling themselves Christians or believers in God, and and they were saying to everyone now that their new Lord, their new master, is Jesus. And so this would have raised all kinds of questions in a society that has very structured hierarchy to it, where it goes from the emperor all the way down to slave masters and owners to slaves. And, And there would have been a lot of questions being asked Of these people, like if Jesus is your new Lord, what does this mean in terms of how you're going to live according to the government? Are you just going to revolt against it and refuse to pay taxes or refuse to live under it? Because this is going to cause some chaos. What does it mean for servants who have a debt to their masters and are working to pay that off? Are they not going to submit and live out that contractual obligation? Or are they going to actually live their lives in such a way that they honor that agreement that they've made? Um, Same thing with with husbands and wives, and that's kind of the issue that we're going to look at today. Because people were saying, if if you just go after kind of this idea of Jesus being your Lord, that means that all these other things that you were once kind of living as a part of, you're going to spurn them, and it's going to be chaos for our society. It's not going to be good for us. And so now you can see with some of those questions rolling around in the minds of the people that Peter is actually answering many of those questions by saying, no, actually Christians need to be more submissive to the government. They need to be more submissive as husbands and wives, more submissive as as slaves even to their masters. This will be good for them and it will be glorifying to God if they do it. So so I want to encourage you with that because we need to really read what we're reading through the Scripture, not just with the perspective of 21st century United States of America, but really with the perspective of what's going on in the context. Otherwise, we're going to entirely miss the point of it. One of the great, um, I guess, examples of this is one of the questions that was raised was, well, what about children that are in abusive authority, like under abusive authority, whether it be their parents or some kind of legal guardian, or this whole mess with uh, you know, the Catholic Church and children being abused, Like, should they just take it? it obviously, the answer to that is no. And, and there's a couple reasons why I would say that. If you remember, um, w- what Peter is saying is, I want everyone who has a choice to submit or not to submit. You see what he's saying there? He's implying that... I, That His instruction is for those who have the power not to submit and yet choose to submit anyway. So who does that exclude? Children, right? Who have no power in and of themselves. Not not to mention that it's the church's calling as God's people to actually advocate for those that don't have a voice in the world and children are those who don't oftentimes especially in these kinds of situations don't have a voice so God is saying I want my people to be an advocate for them and I want those that have no power to be freed from living under a life of oppression you see why it's important to know the context of what we're reading in order to get a good picture of what is it what it is they want us to to kind of take take home Um, so where do we go from here Peter, what he's going to do now is he's going to take this idea of being a servant and serving, and he wants to bring this idea into the home to talk about how husbands and wives should live together as one. And and here's the thing. This is kind of my soapbox. Since I'm the pastor, right, and I get to uh, uh, preach on anything that I want, this this is going to preach for you, okay? Many people who are Christians will serve their guts out to their church at the peril of their own family. And they are sinning when they do so. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. I got an amen. Peter wants you to under, un, un, all of us to understand that our homes come first as a demonstration of what it means to be God's people. You cannot serve everyone and everything in the world and neglect your home and expect to be on good terms with God. It's just not going to happen, okay? So, so you will never hear me say to, to continue to serve at the detriment of your own family because I would not do that for my own family and I would not expect you to do the same thing, okay? And Paul actually, in another part of... Um, The the Bible says, if we don't provide for our own relatives, then we've denied the faith and we're worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong language, right? Because essentially what we're saying is we're not proving our lives to be reflective of the fact that we have God as our Father and He takes care of us, therefore we take care of our families. Um, So what Peter's going to do here is he's going to take this idea of the family and the home and he's going to ask two specific questions of it. Um, And these are some questions that I want you to kind of keep in mind as we go through this. There are also questions that would be good of you to ask of just about any situation. He's going to ask these two things. He's going to say, how is this going to be good for those around me? How's it going to bless them? And secondly, how is this, whatever it is that you're doing, going to bring glory to God? Those are the two major questions that he's going to have in his mind And he wants us to have in our mind. How is this going to be good for those around me? And how is this going to bring glory to God? Like I said, if you were to bring those two questions into anything that you do, it would radically change the way that you do everything that you do. So, So think about your work life. What if you went to work not seeking what was best for you, but you came to work and said, I'm going to work in such a way that it blesses my coworkers and my boss and demonstrates goodness to them. And I'm going to do it in such a way that it glorifies God by the way that I serve others. You see, would that change maybe your outlook in terms of what you had to do for a particular Monday morning? I think it would if you took that seriously. I mean, same thing with dating. What if you got into a dating relationship not because you're looking for what the other person can give to you and how they make you feel, but if you ask the question, how should I relate to this person in a way that's good for them, that's honoring to them, and it's glorifying to God. That's going to change the way that you pursue that relationship. So he's going to apply this to marriage, and we're going to see how he kind of does that today. Because he he wants us to be a countercultural people for the common good. That's really the calling of the church, to live in such a way that other people would say, you know, it's good that the church is there. And you you might remember, if you've been around here for for two years, that was one of the driving questions when we began Cultivate Church. We we, we asked the question, what would it look like to plant the kind of church where when people who don't attend that church look at it or think about it, they would go, you know what? It's better for our community that that church exists. People are being blessed more and loved greater and, and served well because they exist there. That, that's the kind of community that Peter wants. So we're going to look at the, mas- the, the marriage relationship here and see how Peter applies these questions. So first we're going to take the, the wives because that's the one that Peter takes first. And men, your turn is coming, so don't worry about that. So how should wives live? Peter says this, Wives live in the, in the, same, or in the same way, the same way as that being Jesus, Be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, that is, they don't believe the gospel, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives uh, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So what Peter's doing is he's starting out this section by giving specific instruction to believing women who are married to non-believing men. So you may not be in that situation I think this still has something to say to you, but many of you I know as part of this community are in that situation. So how is it that you should live? Uh, well, he, he asks this question. How will, how will wives living submissively be good for their husbands and glorifying to God? And, and now here, here's the, 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 the temptation. We will often look at a passage like this and go, that is a cultural thing. Um, th- that was good for their time, their day, uh, their age, but that time and day is long gone, long past. And, and I think there are going to be some reasons why you actually might say something differently by the time we get through this. But, but to be honest, it was a culture of submission that day. And, and so one of the questions that husbands would have been asking about this new community that's, that's coming out of the, the woodwork, is now that my wife is a believer in Jesus, is she still going to respect me, or will she now disrespect me publicly? She's got this new Lord. His name is Jesus. Is she going to, in service to Him, say, I, I'm no longer worth serving and being respectable of my husband, or is she going to continue to respect me? And as women whose hope is in Jesus, God is actually calling you to use your power to affirm how God made men. I've got to be honest with uh, the women in the room. You, you may not realize this. You may not have been told this. But I want you to understand this. You have incredible power as women. I see a lot of the men's heads nodding right now. <laughs> you do. You, you have an incredible amount of power because the biggest wounds that, that a man can receive are those when he is disrespected publicly by women in general or by the woman he loves and trusts. Does that make sense? Women, you have a tremendous amount of power to use your respect of your husband or of other men in in, in the church or in the community in such a way that you can either totally destroy them or completely build them up in who they are. Did you know you have that kind of power? Because you do. Just so you know, um, we men, we like to act tough and look strong, but our biggest fear is to be rejected and have our manhood called into question. That is our biggest fear as men across the board. So you can see if that is our biggest fear, what kind of power you have to either affirm or destroy that which we already are. And so Peter, what he's saying is, wives, submit to your husbands so that they will see in you someone who is pure of heart and who gives them respect by the way that you live. And this is going to be good for them because if you want to see them, particularly for those who aren't believing spouses, if you want to see them won over to Christ, then disrespecting them and calling into question the very way that God created them will destroy any hope of them trusting in the Gospel that you say you believe. It's going to completely destroy that testimony. Because with your words, you'll be saying that that in Christ, God saves and He restores men back to the way that God intended them to be. But with your actions, you'll be questioning and undermining that very identity. And this will not be good news for men. Right, men? See, the gospel, it does restore men back to the way God meant them to be. To be loving servants who lay down their lives for the women that they love. That is God's calling for men. And so women, you have an incredible power to shape men in that identity. You do. God's given you that authority. And so Peter's saying if you do, it will win him over and teach him how to submit to Jesus as Lord. So, so let's do a little exercise, okay? Before, this is, uh, I need the men to respond to this uh, on behalf of the women, okay? So women, you'll get your turn in just a little bit. But men, I want you to, for the women to hear in the room, what does respect look like to you? What what does it look like for a woman to respect you? Okay? If you have to change seats, like to get away from your spouse so you don't get hit (laughs) in your answer, feel free to do that. (laughs) What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they back you up, yeah. Even when they're not quite sure if you're uh, heading in the right direction, right? <laughs> Which oftentimes we aren't quite sure as men. But we just want somebody to say, I, I believe in you, right? That's hugely powerful. I saw Kurt next Yeah, yeah. So they demonstrate love even in times when they're not happy about your actions. A lot of that's tone, right? Tone of voice and body language. Yeah, Troy, I saw you. They listen rather than what? Rather than rebuttal. Yeah. So so listening in such a way that they seek to understand and not just as a way to develop their next counter-argument, right? Yeah, come on, men. What else? Yeah. They praise you. Yeah. They see the good in you, and they call it out, right? That's a great thing. One of the things that I'd love to see us practice more as a community, and even for you in your own homes, is to have regular times where you talk to one another about, here's the the grace of god that i see coming out of your life today like here here's where i see god moving and changing you developing you bringing you to to a new place yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah speaking words of life yeah i think we most of us probably know what you mean when when you say that right yeah Um, One of the things, you know, not just speaking well to your husband, but speaking well about your husband. That's one of the uh, major things. If you want to show honor and respect to your husband, the best way that he'll receive it is if you tell somebody else about how great your husband is. If he catches wind of that, ladies, let me tell you, that is going to be a huge blessing to him. One of the areas that talks about an excellent wife is in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. And one of her characteristics is she speaks well of her husband in the public gates. Like in the town center, she goes around and in her daily business, she's constantly talking up her husband. What a blessing that is to him, right? Um, I, I'm blessed with uh, my wife Mandy because she does this um, well. Both in a, po- in, in a positive way and not affirming negative ways. And here's what I mean by that. Um, she'll often talk to talk about people that she works or talk to people she works with about me and and praise me for who I am or things that I'm doing in in our home. And she won't uh, buy into and start to to get into some of the negative talk of some of the other people that she works with when they start to rag on their husbands. That's a huge thing. Like when you as a spouse... uh, start to say, I'm not going to go down that road and bash my spouse as everyone else is prone to do because it makes them feel better? That Men, is that a good thing? That's a huge thing, right? When, when, a, when a wife says, no, I'm going to resist that and I'm not going to go down that road. Um, one of the other things I, I was thinking about is that I, I think women who, who respect and honor their husbands are, are really good at creating a safe place where grace can be extended to them. And and so um, men, when they have something on their hearts or something that they need to confess, um, oftentimes what will happen is they'll either hide those things or they'll carry them to their friends or coworkers or other people outside the marriage when it's really something that they should be bringing to their spouse. And one of the things that helps them to do that is when they know that there's an environment of grace where they can share what's on their hearts and have it be received with love and generosity. And that's a huge gift uh, to men, right? Anything else? Faithfulness. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second, actually. So I I want you to hear this, women. You have an amazing calling from God, and we men need you. I hope you hear that. Do you hear that? We really do. We, we really do need you to shape and to help form our identity as men because you have the power to do so. So, so the first way that wives do that is, is by respecting husbands, and the second way is through faithfulness or purity, which is what Pete was going to bring up. But, so 1 Peter 3.3 3 says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Now what is that all about? People have used this uh, this teaching to come up with all kinds of weird things. You know, where women shouldn't wear jewelry, they shouldn't buy nice things, they they shouldn't put on makeup. They, you know, they should really just be plain, or all these things. Never cut their hair. I mean, you if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard some of these things talked about, right? And, And some of the men are in the room are going. Fantastic, because it means I don't have to buy something for her on Valentine's Day this week. <laughs> so, but should, is that what he's really talking about? Um, well, again, here's where context really helps. Because the women in that day, what was happening in, in many of the, the cities and towns where Peter is writing this letter to, there were women who were being drawn away to other cultic activity outside of the cities. And and they would be drawn away to worship these false gods and all these different pagan rituals. And they would leave their homes at night dressed up for these occasions. And so they would don themselves with all kinds of fine clothing, and jewelry and makeup when they leave under the cover of darkness to go to these cultive activities. And many times what was happening is as they were giving themselves over to these false gods, they were also giving themselves over to other men who were part of these activities. All kinds of of incredibly harmful behavior that they were participating in. And this would have brought, as you can imagine, great shame on their husbands if people saw their wives leaving their homes in this way in the evenings, right? I mean, think about this. If you were a man and, and you saw your wife leaving under the cover of darkness in this kind of way, you would formulate an instant opinion about them and it would bring shame to their household because they would be unfaithful to their marital vows. And so you see, Peter's actually addressing a very real issue here because the women who were being formed into this new thing called the church were becoming believers in Jesus, they would leave their homes at night too, right? Because they would be going to other people's homes to study the Bible and to pray and to encourage one another in Christ. A lot of what we call life groups, they were doing the very same things, meeting in homes all across the city. And so what Peter is saying is when you do this, when you go to meet with these people, be wise in how you dress because it will protect your husband's honor by the way that you do so. Do you see how that's very important? So for a man to feel respected, this kind of the application maybe of this, he needs to have confident trust in her loyalty to him, in her faithfulness. It's the key to a strong marriage. If a man doesn't have this kind of trust, it will lead to all kinds of things, and one of the most popular that it leads to is that it leads to him living protectively rather than experiencing the freedom to release her knowing that she's going to be faithful till death. One of the things that keeps men in bondage to try to control the women in their life is when they don't have confidence that they're going to remain faithful to them. So, so let's have another conversation. Both men and women can respond to this. What are some ways that you could actually demonstrate faithfulness to your spouse? Yeah. Honesty, right? You're not withholding something, right, from them. They don't constantly feel like there's information that you're not telling them. The kind of partial truths, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, keep just keeping the other included, right, in the activity of your life. Not dropping off the radar. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, choosing your words, particularly for men, um, choosing your words carefully in how you compare what you have to what other people have. O- oftentimes as women, I-, I think I've experienced this in, in our home and maybe you've experienced this in yours, that sometimes when you talk about the things that you don't have, it can actually communicate to a, to a husband in particular that that you would rather be in another person's household who has the things that you don't have, you know? I mean, you could see how that would happen. It's essentially going back to that identity piece where you're saying there's someone else that may be able to provide this for me better than you can. Now, you would never say that as women. I realize that. But, But that's part of that honoring and respecting because oftentimes that's what men will hear. Yeah. How you dress, yeah, yeah. Are you dressing in such a way today as to gain the affection of other men or are you dressing in such a way that you're reserving your affection you're reserving yourself for the affection of your husband that's a huge one women huge 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 yep, <laughs> yep. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, I've tried to learn more about that so that I understand that because if she's from some other planet than I am from, which I discovering is true, you know, it's good to learn how we think that we do not think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thought pattern is different, right? And here's the thing about dress. Women, you were designed by God in such a way that you would be able to attract men to yourself. Do you know that? Like that, that was no mistake on God's part. But God has a specific reason for you to be able to do that, which is to bless your husband and to glorify God through it. So are you, are you bringing that blessing which God has given you and are you giving that blessing away to other men by the way that you dress for them who you know, see you out in the world? Or are you reserving that blessing for the one that God intended you to give it to? That's a really important thing. It goes back to that power issue, right? Women have tremendous power when it comes to men. You do. Uh, one of the things, I mean, I'm just, so I'm going to brag on Mandy for a second because she's not here, but I would do it anyway if she was. Um, I know without a shadow of a doubt that Mandy has my best good in mind. And one of the reasons that I know is because in almost seven years of marriage, I have never once questioned her loyalty or faithfulness to me. I mean, she excels in this area, and I'm so, so blessed by it. I, I don't, I, I've never woken up and wondered, I wonder if she's going to try to gain the affections of someone else today. It's never even crossed my mind as her husband, and, and it is a huge, huge gift to me, one that I, I'm so, so grateful for, and I praise God because of it, that, that she's the kind of woman that she is. So this would have been a blessing to the husbands of the culture, but we still haven't answered the question, how is it glorifying to God for women to live this way? If Peter goes on and he says this, instead, instead of uh, the, the outward adornment, it should be, that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So he's saying, in other words, look at the mother of your faith who is Sarah, if the father of our faith is Abraham, then the mother would be Sarah. And as, as God's children, pattern your life after her example. So you, you can see then why this isn't just a cultural thing, this is a people of God thing. Because God is saying this is a characteristic of the very people of God and how they live generation to generation. If it was just a cultural thing, then Peter would have used cultural images of the day to tell people not to do it. But he's drawing on an example from thousands of years before their time to give this example. And he's saying, you're actually going to demonstrate what God is like through your submission. Because God is a triune God. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, And all three members of the Trinity actually live in submission to the others. They submit themselves. And one of the greatest examples, obviously, is Jesus when He came to the earth and and He submitted Himself to the will of His Father because He trusted Him and said, not My will, but Your will be done. And He went to the cross in submission to His Father's will. And if you do this, Peter's saying, you're going to be showing an imperishable beauty that will never fade. How many of you have ever seen people uh, who do everything they possibly can to avoid being old, and it almost results in them looking (laughs) non-human. Just show of hands. I mean, you turn on the television, you can't turn it on for very long before you see that. But Peter's saying that there's actually a beauty that gets even more beautiful as you age. Go figure. And this is the beauty that, that the women of our family adorn themselves with. It's a beauty that comes from a gentle and quiet spirit, a divine grace that when you see it, you you have to say to yourself, God is good because He brought them here. Women who love Jesus are growing in godliness. And when you're around them, you you just want to be with them and you want to learn from them. I want to encourage you, there are women like that in our congregation, in our family here. There are just a blessing as they grow older, it, more and more beautiful because it's coming from the inside out and they're not working every day just to keep the outside beautiful, right? So women, how, I want to ask you how much time and the outside's beautiful too. Yeah. Yeah. I said not just. Yeah. So I want to ask you, how much time do you give towards external, the external beauty of who you are, and how much time do you devote to the internal beauty that will never perish and only get more beautiful over time? If you were to break down your week, how much time do you devote to one as opposed to the other? If you're giving all of your time to the external beauty, you're fighting a battle that you will never win. But if you give yourself to the beauty of the internal person, it's an investment that you will never, ever lose. It's an investment that's going to bless all kinds of people in your life. So, what is. Uh, well, I'm going I'm to kind of move on then because I want to make sure that we get to the men. <laughs> all right, husbands, it's your turn. How should we men live to bless our wives and to glorify God? This is what Peter says. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And the word wives there is actually the word women, so this could be applied generally even to women who aren't your wife. Treat them with respect, that is to treat them with honor, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So how is it that living considerately with my wife will be good for her. That phrase, to live in such a way that it's considerate, is, is really to live in such a way that you really know what her true needs are. In other words, it's to treat her as if you know what it's like to walk in her shoes. Women, would this be a blessing to you? Can I get an Amen. This would be incredibly good news for women. So what's it going to take? It's going to take you listening and learning from her. Paying attention to her rather than assuming that you know what's best. and And really listening for what she wants from you rather than just deciding that you're going to fix it regardless of what she wants. And let me tell you, most men, we don't have a clue how to do this. Not a clue. Because, in in large part, we're too busy trying to fix everything to ask the questions. And this is true of me, men, just as much as I know it's true of many of you. Uh, Many times when Mandy's telling me the story of her day, I just want her to get to the end of it so I can know how to fix it. You know? Like, I don't need all the details. Just give me what's wrong. Give me what you need, and then I'll decide how to fix it. You know? And she's going, no, I just need you to listen to the details of my day and to ride this roller coaster called life with me, right? So when Peter says that women are heirs of this gracious gift of life, I want you to hear this, men. Men, he's saying to you, realize how precious these women are in the sight of God. I want you to realize That each one of them is someone who God died to redeem and to make His daughter. And so treat them with honor because they're dear to Him. So men, and maybe especially single men, I want to encourage you with this. The women of our community need you to treat them with respect and honor. They need you to do so. They need you to care for them because they are God's daughters and you will give an account one day for the way that you treat them. You will. So protect them and watch over them. Don't take advantage of them or exploit them or use them for your gain. Live in such a way that you honor them and treat them as precious because they're precious in God's sight. So, So women, here's your turn. Um, for the men in the room, so that they would know what does it look like for a man to honor you to let you know you 're of value right that you have great worth yeah not just once in a while right <laughs> yeah yeah men, do you realize that much of of the reason that women women feel such pressure to adorn themselves outwardly and yet don't care about the inward person is because we say implicitly or explicitly, in one way or another, I care more about the external. Women, do you, do you pick up on that message often? I see a lot of nodding heads. What if we as men regularly communicated to the women in our lives that what's most important to us is what God is doing on the inside of them. And that that is worth more than its weight in gold. Men, you have the ability to call that out in your spouses particularly. Yeah, what else? What does it look like to honor women? Yeah, men are saying kind of um, giving women the opportunity and the space to have time for themselves because, I mean, let's be honest, women are far better at laying down their lives for their spouses than husbands are in terms of my own experience. (laughs) And for their children, right? Um, And and we men, we don't often realize uh, the kind of work and dedication that it takes to be a woman in your family. Right, women? One of the um, the things that happened to me recently is uh, part of this whole sickness that's kind of going around our church and the community is uh, Mandy was down with the flu for about a week or so. And there were probably two or three days in that period where she was really down and out. Like she couldn't do much of anything. And so I was kind of on my own in terms of both working and Taking Caleb and you know to various things and taking care of him in the evenings and so it was kind of twenty four hour you know mr. mom and um, which I was happy to do for, her, but I remember at the end of that saying to mandy um, when she started to feel better i'm sure glad to have my partner back you know and, and she uh, not maliciously it was really with a lot of grace um, said to me that when when we're off and when I'm, you know, out of town or going to Haiti or something, um, that it's like that, but for seven days. And I thought, man, like, all of a sudden I gained a whole new appreciation for the kind of work that she puts in to our family. Which really, in turn, kind of motivates me to do more for our family. Because I want her to have some of that space, like you were saying, um, to, to really have time for herself. Because she will not choose it for herself if I don't give it to her as, a, as her husband. Yeah, anything else? This is your opportunity, women. You've got an open forum. Be good listeners. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's got, yeah, the whole eye contact and, and being present has gotten a whole lot harder in the age of, like, the iPhone and technology. Um, Because we men, we think we can be in four different places at once and give our time to all of it, and nobody will notice, you know? So I can be on my phone and answering email and, you know, doing this, and I got the TV on, and uh uh-huh, 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 your day was okay, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, right? And we can, you know fool ourselves into thinking that we're in all places at once when we're really nowhere. <laughs> and, and the women in our lives know it, you know. Um, and I think what they, Carol, what you were expressing is to be present, right? Is making eye contact, being there, listening well, not being distracted or somewhere else, right? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that faithfulness piece is just as important the other side around, isn't it? And, and yeah, yeah. And, and the culture of our day, just to be honest with you, it, is, it really encourages men to be wanderers in the way that we relate to women. It, it's to never settle, to never grow up, to never take responsibility. Just be an adolescent all your life. And don't take responsibility um, and, and live your life. Don't nail yourself down to one person because that's going to be enslaving to you and all, on and on and on and on. That's the message of our culture. And so as the, you can see how this would create a drastic contrast if we as the men of the church would say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to live our lives in such a way that we communicate honor and respect to the woman in our life. And we're not going to wander in terms of our affections or our eyes. And here's the thing, men. You need other men to help you to do that. Because it is a lonely road to try to do that, road, that, that thing on your own. There are a lot of snares along the way. You just have to turn on the internet for about 30 seconds. And you'll have an opportunity to not live that path. So You need other guys in your life that are willing to hold you accountable to that standard so that it would bless your wife and honor God and glorify him, right? So um, if you were to kind of put a, a bow on it, what, elsewhere we've looked at this passage before in Ephesians 5. Um, Paul says that men are to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ laid down his life for his church. And and it goes on to say that Jesus washed his bride, the church, in the water of the word to present to himself a bride without wrinkle or stain or blemish, to present her perfect and holy to himself. Do you see what he's saying? That a husband's responsibility is to make their wives more beautiful than they were before. It's the calling of a husband to lay down your life in such a way that it causes your wife to become more holy, more beautiful from the inside out. So I would ask God, you men, a couple questions about your spouse. One, who is it that you want her to become? Not, I'm convinced that she needs to become this, and so I'm going to help her get there. But God who is it that you want her to become? And then secondly, how are you calling me to lay down my life to nurture her so that she becomes everything that you want her to be? I'm convinced, man, if you ask those two questions, you will bless the heck out of your wife and you will glorify God by the way that you live with her. Because you'll be doing it in such a way that you live considerately of them. And this... This is something that all women need in their lives from their spouses. And those of you maybe who are single women, I would say this as well. Um, Jesus is the standard for what a husband should look like. And so if a man is not willing to lay down his life for you, he is not worthy of you. Right? If he's not willing to lay his life down for you, he is not worthy of you. Lastly, you'll notice that Peter says that there is a new reality going on here, that women are now co-heirs with men, equal in every way. Sometimes we see the word submit and we go, oh, there's a hierarchy again. Men are obviously better than women, according to the Bible. Don't hear that at all, because what it's saying is, that both men and women are co-heirs of the promise that comes through Jesus. They are on equal footing. They are equal in every way. And so men, if you see your wife as less than equal to you, then you will exercise superiority over her. And let me tell you this. Just like God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, If you see your spouse as less than you, God will oppose your leadership in your family. I want you to hear that. Oftentimes we lead the women in our lives as if we're superior to them. And then we wonder why God doesn't bless the direction of our families. I'm talking in pretty stark terms now, aren't I? Men, I want you to see them as equal and as daughters of God who will inherit the same promises that you do as believers in Jesus. And that you've been given as a blessing to them to lay your lives down for them. Peter says if you do this and you humble yourselves, then your prayers will not be inhibited. So don't fool yourselves, men, into thinking that you've somehow earned your place of leadership in your home. Because God has put you there by his grace so that your family would come to know what he's like and submit their lives to the gospel. He chose you so that you would, in a sense, understand just how inequipped for the task he's called you to do that you really are. Because he wants you to cry out to him and say, God, I don't deserve the position that you've put me in. And God will say, you're right. And then you'll say, God, help me with this position. And he'll say, I will. So, men and and women, are you feeling inadequate (laughs) for what you're called to today? I, I certainly was as I was writing this down. The good news is that when we're inadequate, it actually leads us to the cross. Because only Jesus can enable you to do this. Women, only Jesus submitted perfectly to the will of his Father. And men, only Jesus humbly laid down his life in the service of his bride. So you cannot submit or lead in the way that you're called to do without him. And so let's go to him, shall we? Father, thank you that you've given this relationship to be a picture of what you're about and what you're like in the world. Lord, I, I ask on behalf of the men in this room that you would help us to lay our lives down for the women in our lives as you laid your life down for the church. Help us to listen well so that we might honor them in a way that blesses them and lead them in a way that glorifies you. For the women in the room, I pray on their behalf that you would enable and call them to live lives of submission and faithfulness to their husbands. Not because their husbands are good and worthy of it, but because you're good. We thank you, Jesus, that you perfectly demonstrate what it looks like to live a submitted life. And you perfectly give your life humbly in service of your bride. So we come to you, God, declaring our need for you. We ask that you'd come and fill us. Even as we come to the table this morning, that you would remind us of our need for you. Help us to know how great you've been in our lives to fill every need that we've had and we'll give you glory in it in jesus name amen